Wonderful. Well, I'm excited here uh, to get started on a new series. We're starting a series here that we're going to be doing through uh, November and December. We're going to be doing, uh, talking about prayers that we see in Scripture. There's actually a lot of prayers in Scripture. We picked a few to help us learn and think about what does it look like to pray? Why do we pray? And hopefully just be encouraged again, uh, reminded of who Jesus is, uh, which would uh, hopefully help us uh, to overflow and to uh, want to turn uh, to him. So I'm excited to do this. At Christmas, we're going to look at some of the prayers uh, at Christmas time in Scripture. And then even into the first uh, beginning of uh, January, we're going to look at some of the prayers in the book of Acts, some really uh, bold prayers about what it looks like to be the early church. So excited for this. Uh, one of the things just to make you aware of, hopefully we're going to be able to resource you with some uh, ways to learn about prayer and actually get praying. And one of those things is that we do have a Heights prayer team. We used to have one for our whole, the whole church, all our locations, and we've created one just for here at Columbia Heights. And so if you people just started using this. And so uh, if you'd like prayer, you can, you can email ch for Columbia Heights prayer um, at uh, hopecc.com. You can just send an email there. And there is a team of people uh, who have committed to praying uh, for you. Uh, and so we'll send back emails, say we're praying for you. And um, uh, it's, it's, not a, it's not a place to like, we're not going to send you advice or tell you like, oh, you should read your Bible more. You're not going to get that back. You're just going to get people praying for you. So someone just asked me like, if I send that, are you going to send me, are you going to solve my problem? I said, no, we're going to pray to the one who will solve your problem. Hopefully. Um, also, if you're interested, this is a team that we continually are growing. And so if you're interested, I'd love to talk to you more about what it looks like to be on our prayer team. Um, and why, why we'd love to have you praying for the people here at Heights. And so just to make you aware of that, that's something I, you might not be aware of. Also in our weekly update, there is a link every week that will uh, allow you just to click and you can send a prayer out. And this is any kind of prayer. It's fun to hear praises. We want to like worship God with you. And we also want to pray when it's tough uh, with you. And so love for you to use that here at, at Hope. So as we start a series on prayer, uh, a big question that, and maybe you're already feeling this, you don't need to ask this question, is how do we feel about prayer? How do I feel about prayer? Prayer is a thing that uh, causes me to feel uh, different things. My first, uh, my first thought, my first feelings about prayer are um, feelings about a lot of different spiritual disciplines. Is my first thought is like, oh, you're not doing enough. Uh, and so my, your first feeling might even be like, oh, Drew's going to now tell us for a couple months that we need to pray more. Uh, and so you start feeling some of that weight, or maybe you get excited. You think, oh, I love praying, and prayer has been such a big part of my life uh, or such an important part of my life, or it's something that even for some that's part of their story of coming to know Jesus uh, is, is being prayed for or with people. You think excitement. I think for a lot, there might even be kind of this both, right? There's like an excitement, and there's like, oh, no, I don't pray enough, or I don't know how to pray. There's this excitement for a connection with God, a time maybe in the word or an opportunity to care for others. I know some of you are people who just say, I love praying because it's a way for me to care for those around me. Maybe you've seen powerful things happen through prayer. Maybe you just go, oh, this is great. I wanted to take some time to learn more and think more. And I want my prayer life to be different. Or maybe you feel unsure of this, right? There may be guilt or remorse or just sadness around this. I wish I did this more. Oh, I don't. Why can't I? get praying more, unsure, maybe even confusion of, I'm not even sure why we'd pray. Does it matter? Does it, it seems like, is God just going to do what he's going to do anyway? 
I'm not good at this, so I shouldn't be the one praying. Every, have you been felt that way or maybe been somewhere where you ask people if they want to pray? And they're like, I'm not good at that. Maybe you should do that. That's common in my life. I'm usually the guy I ask to pray at any family event. I send invoices now to family members. I'm like, well, I'm on the clock then. So you got to pay me for this. This is a good one. Um, and maybe even if you've never felt like you've learned how to pray. And so our hope is that in some of those questions and some of that thinking that for the next uh, couple of months, we're going to have the opportunity to just look at how people pray in scripture, different ways, and even how Jesus prays. And, and hopefully some of that will come to light. We'll go, okay, this is what prayer looks like. And, and I can do that. And here's how I can do that, as well as even give you some resources to maybe consider that. Maybe even uh, you'll consider praying differently or with different people, or maybe just at all uh, publicly with people. Um, or maybe just alone by yourself. So we're excited to take that opportunity to, to just sit in this for a while and think about it and understand what the gospel has to say about prayer. When I think of uh, uh, myself, and as we look today at a moment when uh, Jesus encounters some people and we see prayer happen, uh, for me and part of my story of, of taking steps towards following Jesus come uh, in a prayer that I didn't really even know I was praying. And so it came to me while I laid in bed one night uh, in high school, staring at the ceiling. No, this isn't me. I don't have a picture of me laying in bed. I did Photoshop it so that it would look like me though. See how fancy that is? Oh yeah. Uh, This is why you all come for these cool graphics. Um, I didn't know what to pray. I was laying in bed. Um, I had a pretty rough uh, weeks, months, uh, and was feeling like life was fairly out of control. Um, I was consistently having a dream where, I, where everything around me was made out of rocks and everything was heavy. And the dream was like regular life, except all things were made out of rock. And in my dream, I would pull my blankets up at night to go to sleep and they were like heavy rock and just always this weight, which I, I share because that really is how I was feeling those months. And that dream was just like this picture of how I was feeling this weight. And I remember laying in bed and all these things were coming to mind of my soccer coach, who was also a church planter, which I didn't know what that was or but he would, he would often pray for me. He'd often share scripture with me and, and I'd go to his house and have like a youth group. I didn't know I was part of a youth group, but I was. And he'd share these stories from scripture and about who Jesus was. But I remember laying and feeling like I, I, my blankets felt heavy. Everything felt chaotic. And I was thinking, okay, I remember him talking about this and saying, God actually cares about you. He's with you. Uh, you can ask him for help and you can actually say like, I want to follow you. I want to give my life to you. I remember saying these things and them all coming together as I lay in bed and I uh, panicked because I could not remember the prayer that I was supposed to pray. I had had a really good friend who was always trying to get all of us to pray this certain prayer uh, that he would like get credit for our conversion. And so he would say, you guys want to pray the prayer? We'd like hang out with him at his house He's like, anyone want to pray the prayer with me? And I'm like, what are you talking about, man? And uh, he had this prayer, right? So people would pray to say yes, and I want to follow Jesus. But I remember that combined with my soccer coach. And I thought, okay, God, everything, I can't do this anymore. I was like, I finally just said, okay. And I thought, I can't remember the prayer. And so the prayer I laid in my bed, not knowing I was praying. And I remember saying, God, I don't know what I'm supposed to say to you. I'm really, really sorry. I, I really can't do this. I need you to do this. I'm, I, I'm aware, I believe I'm a sinner and I need you to save me. I need you to rescue me. And, but I cannot remember the prayer. And so my prayer was, God, I believe 
but I need you to remind me of the prayer. And can I please take like an IOU and tomorrow I'll ask and I'll ask uh, and I'll get the right prayer, but can you just count tonight? I remember laying in bed thinking, can you please count this in place of the prayer I'm supposed to give? It was a feeling of like, I, I had heard prayers in church or in places and that they felt very um, like kind of fancy and they're really cool words. And I don't have any of that. All I have is I don't know what to do, but I need you. So please, tomorrow, I promise I'll ask my friend and he'll tell me the right one and I'll say, but till then, could this count? I remember being nervous, like I don't want to fall asleep uh, until I know this. So I woke up the next day, went to school and I asked my friend, I said, hey, what's the prayer thing? Do you still have the little pamphlet? Can I pray it? Last night I prayed, but I didn't have the right words. Thankfully, uh, he said, oh, I, I think you did. I think you did pray. I think you did ask God and say you want to follow him. I think you are taking these steps to move towards Jesus. You don't have to say those exact words. And I couldn't believe it. So, and I think that still is a place in my life at times, I go back to that same feeling of laying in bed, looking at the ceiling, going like, I don't know what to say, God. I'll come back when I figure out what I'm supposed to say. So for me, at least part of my prayer life and part of thinking about prayer comes from like, I don't know what to say. Uh, And when I figure it out, or maybe when I've figured out the thing, I'll come in and say, hey, thanks God for doing that thing. But I, I, I really, it's really hard because I don't know what to say. And so today our, we're stopping at a moment in the gospels where this happens. And I, hopefully we can be encouraged by what, what do you do when you don't know what to say or do you need to know what to say? Um, and so we're looking at the, the gospel of Mark. If you have a Bible, we're gonna look at this story. It's a great narrative, a great story of a moment in scripture where we hear about prayer and maybe a prayer we don't, uh, you don't think of when you think of prayer even. So this is Mark nine. Uh, this is uh, towards more the end of Mark where Mark, Jesus has been born. He's uh, grown up, he's doing miracles. He's healing people. He's gathered his disciples. Um, they're going around to towns and people are seeing who ki- Jesus is that he's the king. He's the, the coming king that they've been waiting for, the king of kings. Uh, and he has not yet died and rose from the dead, defeating sin and death, but he is, is doing these incredible things. And so in Mark 9, uh, we get this moment where Jesus enters into this group of people. And so we're just going to read the story together and, and learn about prayer. So in Mark 9, it says, uh, when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. There's a crowd and Jesus enters and they all run to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? He said, a man in the crowd answers, teacher, I brought my son who's possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whatever, uh, whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. So when they came to him, we're gonna start even, where, where are we? What just happened? It's, this is really important. Uh, what just happened. This is in the book of Mark. Often um, he gives these great kind of like three part little like trilogies, these moments where something happens and something else happens. And it's good to know the things together. I think when I'm reading my Bible, sometimes I just read in between the the topics. And if you don't know what happened before or after, sometimes it it doesn't necessarily make sense or you don't understand even fully how important it is. And this is one that's really cool. The order of how these things happen right before this in Mark nine, we get the transfiguration. It's a big word. It sounds like a prayer word. 
Uh, we get this moment where Jesus takes a few of his disciples up on a mountain. And this is the moment where Jesus begins to glow brightly. And then uh, these historic figures from, uh, from their history and just history appear and his disciples kind of fall on their face. This is, this is what happens. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, just some of the disciples with them, and they led him up on a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. So he be, like begins to glow. He's so bright and he even clarifies, this isn't like he happened to bring along a really white robe to put on. Something's happening it's incredible, and they were, and there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. And so they go on this mountain. Jesus begins to glow brighter and, and, and whiter. It's like a like just a sun glowing brighter than anyone could just create. This is something supernatural. And Elijah and Moses, who represent the law uh, in the Old Testament, uh, the prophets, like the the whole Testament, are there with him. And the disciples fall down and they say, oh my, this is incredible. And Jesus, it's kind of this moment of like, you are Messiah. You are the King of Kings. You're the one. It's this glorious moment. They're on a mountaintop. God is there. It's Jesus. You are God. You're the one who's going to rescue us. It's this beautiful picture. Uh, and visually, they get to see the glory of God right there, right with them. In fact, they even say like, let's build shelters. Let's just camp out here in the glory of God. This is so good. So they have an experience with Jesus where he shows like visually they, they get to experience this beautiful glory of who God is and that it's Jesus. It's him. And then they're on a mountain. They, they walk down their mountain and he encounters a crowd with the rest of the disciples. They're all hanging out together. They're not just hanging out. They're with... Uh, some teachers of the law, some religious leaders there, and they're arguing about something. There's also a crowd of people who are excited to see Jesus. And we learn within that crowd, there is a man who comes and has asked for help from the disciples for his son, who at this point we know is possessed by a, a spirit or demon, and he's robbed of his speech. He cannot talk. It also says the demon seizes him, throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth. He gnashes his teeth. He becomes rigid because of this possession of this evil. And so we, we kind of can gather this information as we see this scene happening, Jesus coming down, the crowd being there. Imagine the disciples and these leaders are arguing over something and Jesus walks into the scene and he says, what are you arguing about? What's going on here? And this man comes forward and he says, hey, my son is possessed. This demon is really looks like trying to kill him and hurting him. And I asked your disciples, if they could get rid of it, drive the spirit out, but they couldn't do it. So that's where we're at right now. Jesus there, the disciples, they're arguing. Maybe they're even arguing about that. Like arguing about like how the technique, they should, you should have done this. Why didn't you do this? Maybe you guys can't actually drive demons out. Maybe you can't drive demons out. And then all this argument, this, this had been something that happened earlier. We see in Mark, disciples were sent out and they did. Uh, in the name of Jesus, drive demons out of people, push back evil in people. And so we have a moment here. What's, what's going to happen? This guy approached Jesus. This didn't work with your disciples. This man with his son. You can imagine all, all the things people are feeling angry and people are arguing. 
they're trying to figure it out. And Jesus comes in. Jesus had just been on the mountain glowing with the other disciples, left them there to, to help. It's not working. And if you can imagine a father who has a son who he can't do anything to help him. You might be a parent who understands that feeling. He brings them to these disciples and says, hey, I've heard you can cast demons out. You could heal my son. You could bring life back to him, even save his life really in this. I've heard you're like students of this Jesus, right? Who can do this? Can you do this? I've heard you can do this and they can't help him. I don't know what they tried, but didn't work. And so we have now a desperate father looking for healing for his son who's ultimately being killed by demons. And Jesus responds to them. He says, you unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. And so he brings the boy, uh, or Jesus calls the boy to be brought to him. So they bring, they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has this been like this? From childhood, he said, it has even thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus said, everything is possible for one who believes. And immediately the boy's father explained, exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. So Jesus says to them, oh, you unbelieving generation. It's actually a phrase that's used even earlier in Mark. It says, you, you don't believe. Where's your faith? And he says, bring me the boy. Bring, bring him to me. Have the boy come to, to me, Jesus. Not, did you try this? Or, hey, guys, try this thing. Or, why don't you take him there? And um, I guess I didn't teach you this technique. He says, bring him to me, Jesus. He didn't take sides. He didn't say, Oh, the teachers of the law, you don't know what you're talking about. These guys know, or these guys don't know, or hey, everyone in the crowd, let me tell you who's not doing it right. He just takes the boy and brings him to him. Ask the father how long this has been going on. It just even gives more, more uh, to the story, understanding like the long history that this dad and his son have had, this family has had of a son who's uh, controlled by this evil. In fact, he now shares more details of how scary this has been. His demons tried to throw him into fire and water to kill him. Satan wants my boy dead. And I don't know what to do. And I thought your disciples could help and they couldn't. And please, please help us. If you could do anything, Jesus, have pity on us, please. Please. Can you, I can 100% imagine this. This dad who is like just wore out. I'll do anything. And maybe if you could, maybe if you could help it, I'll take it. I just need my son healed. I'm scared for his life. He's been tormented by evil, controlled by sin. He's, he's, he just feels helpless. And so he says a phrase we all would probably say, if you could do anything, please, please, just anything. And Jesus says, if you can, referring to, again, to this idea of his belief, right? Do you not believe that I can? He says that everything's possible for one who believes. This is a phrase that, that could, could be used to say like, oh, if you just believe enough, if you have a strong enough faith that you can get whatever you want, have whatever you want, 
Jesus will heal whatever or do whatever you want. It, it, it could be a phrase if we're not careful, it becomes very anti-gospel and that it's just like, oh, I can use Jesus to get what all I want. My heart's desires. But we know from the rest of the gospels and from Jesus and even what happens here, he's not saying, oh, you just believe harder and then you can do whatever you want and get whatever you want. He actually, the father just right then says a very interesting phrase, a, a kind of prayer. He says, I do believe. And then he says, help me overcome my unbelief. What? I believe, but I don't believe. That feels very honest. And I can identify with that prayer. Jesus, I believe, but I, I also don't know if I believe. There's this moment of faith and doubt in the same moment. There's this moment of belief and unbelief. And he cries out and says, I need you even when it comes to my belief, Jesus. I, 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 don't, I don't need to get to a point where I believe so strongly that now you hear my prayer even when it comes to believing that you could do anything I'm about to ask you, I need you to even help me and my heart and my mind even believe that that's true, that even praying is true. I have many times prayed with someone who is unsure. They say, I don't think I believe this. And I'll say, oh, you want to pray with me though? And they'll say, I can pray. And their prayer often is, hey, Jesus, if you're like real or whatever, Drew says you might be, <laughs> I don't know, then could you help me or show me that you're real? And I think early in my faith, I would kind of discount that. I'd say like, oh, that was a weird prayer. And I think, yeah, I have had to pray the same prayer. Laying in my bed, I prayed the same prayer. God, I don't know how this works. I don't know what to say. I don't even know what I believe, but I need you. Will you help me even believe? Even give me the strength for that. Even give me the strength for that. Well, as we continue in the story here, when Jesus saw the crowd was running to the scene, this man cries out, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. I want my faith to be in you, you alone. When Jesus saw this, that the crowd was running, he rebuked the impure spirit. So when Jesus turns to the demon and he says, you deaf and mute spirit, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. I love, I love when Jesus does this. There's not like a long, he didn't say like, we beseech thee, Lord of the heavenly realm. He just says, get out get out of this kid and don't ever come back. And the spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. Put up one last fight. I'm going to, one last time, I'm going to try to kill this kid. In fact, the boy looked so much like a corpse that many around him said, he's dead. He looks dead. The spirit got him. Jesus, you were too late. I love it. I love it. This, this reminds of the story, if you remember, when a, a man came to Jesus because his daughter was really sick. And then when they got there, it was, everyone thought it was too late. They're like, too late, Jesus, she's dead. And then he goes into the house and he tells her to wake up. Reminds me of the story when Jesus sees his friend Lazarus, he's in a tomb. And he weeps with, with his family. And then he says, uh, he, he's, not he's not dead if I'm here. Get out of the tomb. I love this. As if he was dead. I don't know if he was dead. But he looked dead, but not with Jesus there. So Jesus says, but Jesus took him by the hand and he lifted him to his feet. Other translations say he raised him up. 
Isn't that cool? And he stood up. And Jesus had gone indoors. When he had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he said, this kind can come out only by prayer. So he gets hear the story here, what happens. He meets, he, he sees his disciples arguing over why they can't get a demon out. He comes and he says, bring the boy to me. And then he says, there's an issue with your faith or where you're putting your belief. The dad says, I believe, but I don't. Help me believe that. Help me put my faith in, in the thing that will heal, in the one true one and that person standing right there with him, next to him. And Jesus turns to this demon in this boy and he says, get out of it. Look at this wild picture, this depiction of it. This demon being pulled out. I don't know if that's really what it looked like, but what an amazing picture of this boy trying to kill him one last time. The boy laying there dead and Jesus raising him up. The boy standing up with his father. Could you imagine? We don't get any more of that story. The story just cuts off there and, and uh, it cuts to the scene where Jesus is alone with his disciples and they ask, why couldn't we get the demon out? And he says, well, that one needed prayer. Can you imagine if we can fill in that space that space between that period and the, the scene with Jesus' disciples of the dad, the son just stood up. He had, he had probably embraced him. The crowd maybe cheered. People went, holy cow, this Jesus. Almost like he's glowing. Like he, he just showed what the other disciples saw on top of a mountain. He just showed in a very real way, in a very gritty real life moment. This is what it's about. This is who I am. I'm the one who comes and pushes darkness out, the thing that no one else can. I'm the one who pulls evil out of us. And I'm the one who raises us up, brings us life again. While Satan's trying to kill us and destroy us, I bring life. Jesus was there. What, a, what an image to get to see. As he battles evil and darkness and sin, a picture that we know right after this in Mark, he shares again, I'm going to go and die. I'm going to be put in the grave, but I'm going, to, I'm going to raise up and I'm going to rescue all of you. So now all of you who are tormented by evil, by brokenness, by darkness will cry out to me. And by my work of dying and, and rising, I too will lift you up. I too will, will rescue you from the domain of evil. And I'll, and I'll hold your hand and pull you up and raise you up as well, all of you. Just an amazing picture in that moment. An amazing picture of, of what, what prayer can look like. And that prayer, uh, it's really important that we understand today, especially we're thinking of what that prayer, who that prayer is with and what that prayer is for um, when he's with uh, his disciples and why he would say this even when he's with his disciples. It makes you wonder, like, did, he, did his disciples not pray? Or maybe how did they pray? Maybe the prayer wasn't about bringing a child to Jesus, or we need Jesus to rescue his child from this. Maybe they just had gotten really used to the techniques that they had been using. Maybe they thought like, man, we got really good at this. As long as we get our hands in the right spot and we say the right words, or if we yell out enough, it seems like that's been working. And maybe it changed that they're within that their belief turned from Jesus and their faith in Jesus is the one casting demons, pushing back darkness to maybe slowly I think it, in my life, I see this slowly turning back towards me and going like, gosh, I'm really good at this. And crowds come and go like, hey, you're good at getting demons out of people. You're good at praying for people and seeing them healed. 
I start thinking, yeah. And then my faith, my belief starts turning towards Drew. And I start trying to cast demons out in the name of Drew. And I've tried it. It doesn't work. Don't try that. It does not work. I wonder how much. And so when Jesus says, they only come out by prayer, not saying you have to learn the right kind of prayer. He's saying you have to remember who you're praying to because that's the real power, the true object of your faith and not just the amount of the faith, faith towards something. Christopher Marshall uh, says this as a, in a commentary about the book of Mark. Presumably they had come to regard their power to heal and, exor- uh, and exercise as their own autonomous possession rather than being a commission from Jesus to realize the delegated authority afresh each time uh, through dependent prayer. So kind of what we're just saying, right? So presumably they started thinking their own power to heal was what did it. And, and forgetting they were commissioned really just on behalf of Jesus and his authority to do this. Mark is suggesting that then self-confident optimism may feel like faith. This is a good phrase. Self-confident optimism might feel like faith, but is in fact unbelief because it disregards the prerequisite of a human powerlessness and prayerful dependence on God. Our position of prayer is not, I figured out the right way to do it. And so then it, it does something. It's that I know the right person who can do these things. And I'm asking him to do these things. H.P. Charles Jr. when talking about prayer says, prayer is arguably the most objective measurement of our dependence upon God. The things you pray about are the things you trust God to handle. The things you neglect to pray about are the things you trust you can handle on your own. What a good phrase, huh? If I'm not praying about it, I might be considering it something. I got this. I got this. I'll just come to you and the thing, I can't handle the things. Forgetting that I can't handle anything. And so prayer is an opportunity for us to say, we can't do this. Even my faith, I can't do. Like I need, I need you in all of this. So we get this great picture in this moment uh, in the book of Mark in the same day, kind of in the same little period of time, we get Jesus on a mountain showing off that he's king, the king of kings, the one who will conquer death and establish God's kingdom forever. And the king who comes down into the muck of life, coming to a boy seized by Satan's schemes, a helpless parent, a crowd watching, looking for the one who will rescue them. He acts in a way to show the world that he is king over these things in a very different way than maybe they thought. A tormented son thrown to the ground, dead, raised up. Does that story sound familiar? He gets to act out in that moment with this boy, his great story of the son killed, thrown down, except in Jesus' story, He's raised up to new life after being put in a hole in the ground. After three days, he defeats sin and Satan and death for all of us. And now too, we will rise with him. Our deathly lives, tormented by Satan, his schemes trying to kill us day after day, us turning from God, all of it. He throws off of us, gives us new clothes, his clothes, and and we have life in him. He's showing us, even in this prayer, prayerful moment, the gospel. And ultimately, he's showing us the greater 
story that there's king who will defeat death and then he will raise and he will establish his kingdom. And that's the king that we pray to. So as we start thinking about prayer this week together, this is the part I think is really important for us as we even start our prayer. It's not about figuring out the right technique of prayer. It's not about reading the most books or, or listening to a whole podcast series about prayer so that you can figure out the, the technique and the right words and the right system. But first starting as we tend to always need to start is remembering Jesus, setting our minds on Jesus. He's the reason why we can pray and he's the one who will do anything that we ask or can do anything that we ask. We need him. And so we can pray this prayer. I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. I could lay in bed and say, God, I don't, I believe, but I don't know what I'm supposed to do to believe. And God, that's a real prayer because I'm, I'm reaching out to the one in my faith and in my doubt to the one who can still do those things. And so I think if you feel as a person, like a person who I don't know how to pray, I don't know what to pray. I don't even know what to believe. I, I need words. Give me faith. It's an excellent place to start your prayer. In Romans, we even hear about this. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Right? You're thinking of this future, right? Right now we're suffering, we're feeling the pain, we're feeling Satan's schemes. In the same way, the spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know that we ought to pray, what we ought to pray for. So in, this, in our weakness, in the brokenness, I don't even know what to pray for but the spirit of God himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Romans reminds us that even when we don't know what to pray, God's spirit can, can give us words to pray or we not even necessarily words out of our mouth, but just our hearts can pray. And that Henry Nouwen says, prayer is a way of being empty and useless in the presence of God and so of proclaiming our basic belief that all is grace and nothing is simply the result of hard work. Our position of prayer, our start for that is I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to do. At times I don't even know how to believe. God, help me. Help me. You are the one who can help me. Where does my help come from? It comes from you. This for me was, is, is hard because I feel like I want to figure it out. And uh, it's my job to have this figured out. And I've been a Christian long enough. I should have this figured out. Uh, and so I can't, like, I can't say that. I can't actually sit down and, God, I don't even know what to say. But I find more and more in my life, I have those moments of, I don't want to say as a father, I have moments, I don't know what to pray. God, I just need you. And so one of the things, just as a resource uh, to you, I want to encourage you to consider even uh, maybe using a prayer book. I've been reading through uh, this one a lot. It's called uh, Every Moment Holy. Um, it's awesome. It has a prayer for like every situation. I think including if you lose your keys, I think is one of them. Uh, and I have read that one when I lost something and it really encouraged me. It reminded me that I'm not a failure and a loser and that losing keys should not be an indication of like how terrible I am, which at moments might trigger that. Um, but they have a prayer actually uh, of doubt in here. And wow, it is powerful. It's a, it's a longer prayer. I actually printed the whole prayer out. It's on the communion tables. If you'd like to take that this week and read. But this, the reason I bring this up is because when I don't know what to pray, um, I don't pray. I just go, okay, I'll just 
figure it out. And so my list becomes like, okay, first figure out how to pray. And then you can ask God for help, uh, which isn't grace. It's not the gospel. Uh, it's that God, I don't know what to do. Help me in my unbelief. Help me in my, un, my inability to pray. And so actually someone else writing prayers has really been a gift to me to just read a prayer. And it's incredible how often in reading it, I think, how do you know my heart? Um, and so I just, wanna, I just wanna read this prayer to us. This is a prayer that you can pray for nights or days of doubt or unbelief. All right, I'll just pray this one part, not the whole thing for us. Here's how it goes. This, this starts with reminding us of how great, uh, how much we have faith and then says, but this, but this doesn't actually happen. So Jesus, I do now the only thing I know to do. Here I drag my heavy heart again into this cleared and desolate space to see if you will meet me in my place of doubt. Even as you mercifully met your servant Thomas in his uncertainty, even as you once acted in compassionate response to a fearful father who desperately pleaded, I believe, Lord, help me with my unbelief. For uh, where else but to you might I flee with my doubts? You alone have the words of eternal life. One prayer, huh? I don't know where to go, Lord, with my doubt. All I know is you're the only one who has life. I, I need you. And so today we're reminded as we think about prayer that we pray to the one who resurrects, to the one who heals, to the one who brings belief. And that's why we can pray. Not because we're good at it, because Jesus is really good. And so when I laid in my bed many years ago, uh, that might've been one of the most honest prayers I've ever prayed. God, I don't know what to do, but I need you. I pray that we would be people who would pray more and more that way. That we would be people who look to the one who resurrects, to the one who brings eternal life. I'm gonna welcome our worship team up. We're gonna take an opportunity to sing and pray and worship our God. A couple things to consider as we do this. Uh, just, just to help you reflect and think, do you know Jesus, the resurrector? Well, I guess too many letters in there. He hears, he hears you. Is there something you want to change about your prayer life? So you can ask, you can actually say, God, I don't know. What, what should I be doing? Maybe ask what keeps you from praying, from having time with the Lord. And then who do you know in your life that needs Jesus's power over sin and death? What would it take to start praying for that person? Saying, God, I don't know what to pray. I don't even know what they believe. I don't know if they're even open, but they need you. And I pray you'd start working in them. What would it look like to start praying consistently for that person? We have an opportunity here at Hope. We love to uh, our service to continue to build to a moment where we sing and worship. We respond to this good news of the gospel. And so we do that through things like prayer. And so we have people in the back of the room who would love to pray for you. Um, if you want prayer right now, we're going to be singing together some songs. We encourage you to sing, maybe just sit and reflect. We also have communion out in the hallways. That's an opportunity for you to remember the death and resurrection that Christ himself died and was raised up so that we could have life. So we encourage you to go on the hallway, have an opportunity to do that, maybe even pray and also uh, respond and just giving uh, as your generous hearts want to give um, to continue to support our ministry here. Let me pray for us and we will worship together. Lord, thank you for your goodness and your kindness and uh, that you are the one who resurrects. 
brings life out of death, that every one of us right now and always can just come to you, even if we have no words. Say, I don't even know. God, I don't know. And we need you. And oh, we are thankful for you. And I pray as we sing these words uh, in these songs, we'd be reminded of your good news and that would warm our hearts, encourage us and give us rest and empower us. Uh, Lord, we, we love you. You're good. We pray these in your good name. Amen.